So if you've been around people long enough, you know that people have agendas and motives. A lot of times they're hidden. A lot of times they're out in the open. A lot of times they can't hide them. Some people are just very blunt. Um, but if you've been around people long enough, you've become accustomed to the fact that people are not always what they seem in a good way and a bad way. So as people, we, a lot of times we have hidden agendas, we have motives, and I've been guilty of it. I know all of you have been guilty of it. Not one of us can say that we haven't had a hidden agenda or a motive because at the end of the day, we're all asking the question, what's in it for me, right? But this Christian life and partaking of all the fruit of the Spirit, we're learning how not to be directed by that part of us to ask that question. We're learning how to be directed by the God design in us that wants to give and wants to serve. But these agendas and motives, they lead us to actions or inactions. And this is how we assign credit or blame to people. And so I'll give you a little story. So little Johnny, right? You guys all know little Johnny. He's the butt of many jokes because he's just a naughty, rebellious little boy. So little Johnny, he's in his yard and he's, he's got his ball glove and his baseball and he sees his, his neighbor come out. So he, he yells to his neighbor, hey, let's play catch. So the girl next door and little Johnny, they're playing catch, right? They're throwing the ball back and forth, back and forth. Well, all of a sudden, little Johnny just chucks it a little bit too hard, goes over the neighbor's head and smashes right into the, the car window of the other neighbor's house. Little Johnny's in trouble, right? He just committed an action that caused a visible consequence and he's gonna be in trouble for it. He's, he, he's gonna have to go to bed early and he's probably gonna get punished. But the little girl, she's got no consequence to suffer, right? So little Johnny took the action, which caused a consequence. So he gets the blame and the girl, she's just there. So actions are more obvious than inactions because this girl, she watched the ball go over her head. Maybe she could have tried to catch the ball. And maybe if she would have caught the ball, maybe she would have got the credit and saved little Johnny's tail. So it's easy to notice when someone does something and it's hard to take note of something that does not happen. And I'm going somewhere with this because tonight we're gonna to be talking about the goodness of God, which are God's intentions, his motives and his agenda for us. So the results of action are usually more certain than the results of inaction as described in our story. So back to the boy and girl. Let's say that you know, little Johnny throws the ball and the little girl, she doesn't like her neighbor. She thinks he's a crabby old man and she doesn't even like living next to him. So she purposefully watches that ball go right over her head and smash the window and inside she's grinning. Now we don't know this happened, right? But she knows it. So she has a motive which led to her inaction but nobody can call her out on it, right? because to everyone else, it didn't happen. So as we interact with people every day in our lives, I guarantee you these mental transactions are going on in people's minds. What happens is these actions and inactions, we will describe, we will ascribe credit or blame to any given situation and then we'll start to enter the area of judgment, which can be very dangerous for us. And if it's an accident, we tend to judge less. If it's on purpose, we judge a little differently. And we also expect to be evaluated differently, don't we? I know in my house, in my marriage, 
if I do something to upset my wife, I feel like a champion. If I'm like, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to do that. It was an accident. It makes no difference to her. I mean, the hurt's still there. You know, my, my dumb decision still happened, but I didn't intend to make it play out like that, right? How many of you have ever had a situation like that where you, you do something, you didn't mean to ha- for it to have a negative consequence, and you're trying to justify to the person that is upset with you that, hey, I didn't mean to do it, it wasn't on purpose. But then there's other times where we do stuff on purpose. So intentions are particularly important to our notion of blame. Because if we can blame, we think we can help, right? If I can blame you for doing something bad, Skip, I'll use you as an example because you're right there and you're so awesome. So if I can blame Skip for something he just did that was bad, I can hold him accountable and show him that his consequences are a direct result for what he did. You see where, we see where I'm going with this. We, 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 we shroud our wanting to put blame on people as we want to help them. Our judgments are harsher when we believe that an action or even an inaction was intentional rather than accidental. Studies show that there are two kinds of intentions, abstract intentions to cause an outcome and specific plans for causing that outcome. Read that again. Abstract intentions, in other words, intentions that aren't meant to be, that cause an outcome and specific plans for causing that outcome. Now, when we talk about people, this can be bad news and this can be dangerous. But here's the good news. We're talking about God. Now, when it comes to God, he's got a good outcome for us. He's got a guaranteed outcome for us. He's got an outcome for us that when we look at that outcome, it should cause us to jump up and down with excitement and realize that life can be better than what it is right now. So God has an outcome for us and it's good. His intentions towards us are good. And intentions are important because they will determine our actions. If we don't fully understand that God's intentions for us are good, it's gonna cause us to have negative actions, which are again, in turn, gonna affect not only our relationship with God, but how we react with other people. So let's start in Galatians chapter five, verse 22. So tonight we're gonna learn how to walk in God's intentions for us. We're gonna learn that tonight. There's some very practical things that I've put in here that I've learned through a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, and a lot of struggle. And I wanna teach you some of those principles and I hope it helps you live a better life. That's my goal tonight. So Galatians chapter five, verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit, the result of his presence within us is love, unselfish concern for others, joy, inner peace, patience, not just the ability to wait, but how we act while we're waiting. Kindness, goodness, or benevolence, faithfulness, gentleness, which is meekness, and self-control. Against, there are, against these things, there's no such law, or nobody can bring a charge to us if we're displaying these fruits of the Spirit. Nobody's gonna get mad at you for displaying the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit, this is how I define it. You may define it differently but I have the microphone. So the fruit of the Spirit are the characteristics of the nature of God produced within us by the Holy Spirit as we remain in Jesus. And if you want some homework, check out John chapter 15, where it talks about Jesus, the vine, and we are the branches. If we remain in him, 
He's gonna cause us to bear fruit. And when we bear fruit, we prove that we're his disciples. At Resurrection Life Church, we exist to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. And the very definition of that, of a Christ follower, is someone that is bearing these fruit. So this is not a series about behavior modification. All right? I'm sure all of us have enough wherewithal to be able to fake it, to fake these fruit, right? So it's not about modifying our behavior so that way we become pleasing to God and pleasing to others. It's about a heart transformation. We have to be partakers of the fruit of the Spirit first and foremost before we can ever think about allowing other people to see the goodness of God working in and through us. So it's for us first and for others. And the goodness of God, the goodness of God is his agenda, it's his nature, it's his motive. So again, the goodness of God is his intentions for us. Now, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. If you don't have this Bible verse memorized, it's one of my favorites. It's one of my, I call it a power scripture. There's about a handful of Bible verses that I think are absolutely essential for your soul. This is one of them. You should, you should know this when you wake up every single morning. God's got good plans for me today. God's, God doesn't have any plans to harm me. So if anything is harmful in your life, I can promise you it's not from God. That's just from deductive reasoning from his word. So God's plans are good. They're full of hope. They're full of promise. They're free of harm. So how do we bridge the gap? Because I've had broken dreams before. I've had crashed expectations. I've had situations in my life to where the goodness of God just didn't seem to be working for me. The promises of God didn't seem to be working for me. I've had broken dreams, shattered dreams. How many of you have ever been disappointed? Okay, so how do we bridge the gap here? If, if we've had broken dreams, if we've had unmet expectations, if we've had these even catastrophes that have happened in our life, what results is a loss of hope, discouragement, despair. So how do we get back on track? Romans chapter two, verse four says this, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? It's a question there. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? What we do is we despise the riches of his goodness on such a deep level in our heart that we don't even know that we're doing it. But it has such a negative and powerful effect in our lives that we have to address this issue. And it all comes down to self-worth. Our struggles, our failure, we get into this mode where we condemn ourselves. And listen, in the moment of failure, in the moment where we, we blow it and do something completely ungodly and unholy and just pure sin, we have to be able to look past our own shame and see the goodness of God. If we can do that, we're gonna be overcomers. We're gonna walk in abundance. We're gonna experience the fullness of his goodness. But what happens is we judge ourselves. We condemn ourselves. We empower fear to interpret how we experience life. So. What we do is we figure, okay, God's not pleased with me, therefore his intentions must not be good. 
Has anyone in here ever sinned or done something bad and then you thought God wasn't pleased with you? We're taught that, right? It's false. Nothing we do or do not do is gonna change God's opinion of us. Thank God for Jesus. So given that fact, given that truth, it should empower us. But what we do is we just get into that little zone to where how can God's intentions be good for me? I know what I did. I know what I've done. I know what I still struggle with. You guys, I bet every single person in here, you're human, you struggle. You know, I struggle with things every day. And I promise you, if I shared some of those struggles with you, you would not allow me to preach to you. But before you get all judgmental, if I knew your struggles, I wouldn't be up here preaching to you. You feel me? We're all jacked up. We've all got issues. We've all got problems. We all need a savior. There's goodness. God's good intentions for us. God had a plan. No matter how bad we mess up, God's got a plan. So what happens when God's goodness, his plans don't work for us, is what we do is we blame God. And I want you to see this. I want you to see this for what it is. We blame him for his actions or inactions. See, we start to get into that cycle and treat him like he's a man or treat him like he's a person. Like he can have hidden agendas or hidden motives or somehow send us mixed signals. We don't usually blame God by attacking him directly. We're not that stupid. But what we do is we blame him by denying the present reality of his goodness. You know, when I get to heaven, I would love for God to have to sit me down and be like, son, let me explain something to you. You believe that I was just too good. And then for me to get to heaven and for God to say, why didn't you realize I'm that good? God doesn't care if you push the boundaries to find out how good he is. He's comfortable with that. He's okay with that. In fact, he encourages you to do that. Romans chapter three, verse three says, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar. As it is written that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. Let me interpret that for you. What that's saying is in the moment to where you wanna condemn yourself, in the moment that you wanna beat yourself up because you don't feel like you deserve the goodness of God, it's in that moment that you need to speak, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. My relationship with God and who I've been created to be and my destiny and my purpose is not dependent upon my conduct, it's not dependent upon my failure or my circumstances. It's solely dependent upon what God has done, his goodness and his victory. Our negative experience can have powerful negative effects. So what happens is we have a breakdown. We don't experience the goodness of God or a promise of God doesn't work for us in that moment or in that situation. We talk to other people, right? Don't you just love other people who have tried the promises of God, they didn't work for them, so they're happy to tell you how the promises of God won't work for you too? God love them, they need grace, but we all need grace. But what happens is we interpret 
God's perspective of us through our own experiences. And God's not limited that way. He overcame our own perspective with his perspective of truth. So what happens is when we do this, when we go down this path, when we forsake his goodness, we limit God through our unbelief. We limit God in our thinking. Example, you get a call from your boss. Hey, I want you to come talk to me in my office. What's the immediate thing we think of? Oh, great, I'm getting fired. Great. Or you get a call in the middle of the night. Oh, this must be trouble. Why do we jump to negative conclusions all the time? Think about it. Think about all the times that you've gotten an unexpected call or an unexpected situation or something unexpected happened in your life and your brain immediately goes to, uh-oh, this isn't gonna be good. We gotta stop that. We have to take control of our own thoughts. We have to take control of our own lives and realize that God wants to do something far more powerful than we can possibly imagine. So what happens if we, can, if we continue down this road with these negative thoughts, we accept a poverty mindset, and that's not just about money. We accept a mindset where we live with meager possibilities and very little hope, which is why most people that you talk to are on medication for depression or anxiety disorders. Do you know how much pharmaceutical companies make on pills that they give people for problems and things that the goodness of God can easily take care of? Now, I can say that because I've been in that situation. I've had people try to tell me, but yes, my situation has been diagnosed and confirmed by a medical professional. So therefore, it supersedes what God's word says for my situation. You know, a lot of you know my story, but I probably did so many drugs before I was at the age of 20 that I depleted every bit of serotonin in my body that my brain could even possibly create. I was diagnosed with clinical depression and couldn't even think straight. That's not the truth for me today. I don't have any medications I'm on. Maybe I should be. <laughs> but I've tasted and seeing that God is good. So I get that there's justifications that you're gonna throw at me based on clinical diagnosis and doctor's confirmations, but I'm gonna to choose to believe the word of God instead because I've been in that situation and I've tasted his goodness for myself, which we're gonna to get to that in a minute. So what is hope? Hope is a confident expectation of good things. So if my experience doesn't produce hope, I experienced it wrong. Let that sink in for a minute because it talks about that in Romans, that when we are in situations to where we're in trials and tribulations, that he says, be, be joyful. And even in James, it says, count it all joy when you enter into trials and troubles. For at the end of that, it produces a hope. So if any situation that I'm in, any experience that I have, if the end result for me isn't hope, isn't a confident expectations of God's goodness for me, I experienced that situation wrong and I need to relook at it. Now, I found this out at a very early age in my Christian walk. 
And it helped me when I was in these deep, dark moments of failure. Time after time after time after time again, I had a dream that I, I got out of this hole that I had dug for myself, only to have that dream crashed. I could spend two hours telling you the travesty of broken dream after broken dream after broken dream after broken dream. I should not be standing up before you today. But what happened is in each and every one of those situations, God was aggressing to me. You know, I, I always giggle when we talk about how we find God. Us finding God is the equivalent of running through the forest at night, blindfolded, and we smack run into a tree. Oh, I found a tree. Oh, I found God. We're blind without him. He finds us, he rescues us, God aggresses to us. His goodness is constantly and, and, and passionately pursuing us. So Hebrews chapter nine, Hebrews chapter six, verse nine says this. But even though we speak like this, loved ones, concerning you, we are convinced of better things, things coming with salvation. So we have everything that we need as children of God. We've got abundant life, we've got supernatural power, we've got divine guidance, we've got an ever-present ever help in our time of need. We have overwhelming victory. Continuing in chapter six, verse 17 says this, in the same way God determining to point out more clearly to the heirs of promise, that's you and that's I, that's me, the unchanging nature of his purpose, guaranteed with an oath, so by two unchangeable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. We have this hope as an anchor, both firm and steady. God's goodness is consistent and it is steady. He doesn't change like we change. He never changes. So no, it doesn't matter how we experience the situation, God doesn't change. He is rock solid. He deserves only credit, never blame, because his actions are so in your face evident of his goodness. So what this does, when we come face to face with this, we're left with no excuse. We have been conditioned by the enemy, going all the way back to Adam and Eve, to play the blame game. We justify and we justify and we justify why we don't experience the goodness of God. We're the best salesmen when it comes to ourselves. I can talk myself into anything, and I'm sure you can too. You are your own worst enemy, right? The Bible says that greater is he who conquers himself than he who conquers a whole city. We are our own worst enemy or we can be our best champion. And this is what transforms our fearful, anxious feelings into faithful, confident security. This is where life gets fun. Do you, are, you, are, you, are you getting this? I mean, do you see it? Because I want you to see it. I want you to see goodness of God in a brand new way. Forget, what, forget everything that you've ever known and focus on what God's goodness can be for you right now. Because here's what God wants to do. God wants to take each and every one of your hearts. He wants to take those expectations that you have of his goodness and he wants to exceed them 100% of the time. What we, what's happened is we've, we've forgotten how to imagine. We've forgotten how to get alone 
and to get quiet and to ponder the infinite, unexplainable, supernatural possibilities of a mighty and awesome God. When we do that, it's gonna open up doors of opportunity and we're gonna see his goodness. And this is, this is fun. We just read how hope is an anchor for our souls. So we can have a confident expectation of his goodness, but we can't be double-minded. It says in James that a double-minded man won't receive anything from God. A person who is double-minded will not experience the fullness of God's goodness. What is double-minded? It means when you doubt God's goodness and you oscillate over here to expect God's goodness, you doubt and then you believe. You doubt and you believe. The Bible says that you're like a wave of the sea that's driven by the wind. So what happens is we can't be double-minded. We have to be so anchored into his word that it's an anchor for our souls. And what happens is we begin to become stable, we begin to become stable people. So in any situation, we have to practice this. Okay, how's the goodness of God gonna be manifested in this situation? How am I gonna see the goodness of God in this situation? It may look bad. How's God's goodness gonna show up here? What's it gonna look like? Let me sit back for 15 seconds and just imagine the possibilities. And I guarantee you God will cash in on it. But we have to condition ourselves. Listen, the Christian life is about training. It's not about works, but it is about training. We have to understand that we are new, new people. We're not subject to the old way of thinking, which is constantly every day nagging us to get back into that rut. We have to get out of it. Possibly one of my favorite Bible verses in all of scripture is Psalm 34, eight. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. I love the idea of taste and see. I'm always trying to get my kids to do this. Hey, taste, taste this. And they're like, oh, it's good. Taste it and see. And my, my five-year-old Henry, which is gonna be six tomorrow, he'll throw a fit about new food. And he's crying, the tears are flowing and I'm begging him, just taste it. He'll take a bite and that's pretty good. I told you, this is what the Bible is telling us. Taste and see that the Lord is good, but you have to experience him for yourself. You've heard the old, the old, the old adage that you, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. You have to experience this for yourself. God's goodness is right there. But you are the one who has to take control, make the decision, be empowered by everything that Jesus has given you and start to move forward. So it's never too late to start to learn how to take a pause in life and to ponder the goodness of God. It's never too late to stop blaming ourselves for our insufficiencies and weaknesses and failures and mistakes. It's never too late to stop blaming and putting shame upon ourselves for the position that we are in our lives right now. It's never too late to experience the goodness of God. It's never too late to all of a sudden radically take your life and transform it to experience a life that is unlimited, it's uncharted, unscripted, and out of control. Romans chapter eight, verse 28. 
says this. And we know that in some things, God works for the good of those who love him. We, some things. That's how we read it. I mean, maybe you don't, but there's some things that happen in my life that I don't think that God's working for good. But that's the challenge. He says there he works all things. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So our story is good. And Pastor Dwayne says it like this. If your story's not good, it ain't over. If your life, if your situation, if your circumstance, if you say, Scott, I'll be willing to admit right now, it ain't good. I'm willing to declare to you, it ain't over. What are you gonna do about it? Not what's God gonna do about it. We're not gonna blame God for why it shouldn't be better or, why it should, or, how, or how it's not the way that we desire it. Listen, God's given us everything that we need for a life of, of godliness. He spared no expense in making sure that we have the authority of the name of Jesus. He spared no expense in making sure that we have the redemption as sons and daughters of God. He spared nothing to make sure that we are empowered to walk in fullness. So if our story's not good, it ain't over. I wanna close with this. I want us to all read this. Psalm 23, many of you may know it. It's gonna be up here. So ready, read. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Here's the takeaway. Begin to practice the art of being pursued. God is pursuing you in such a way. He is madly crazy in love with you. He so desires to captivate you with his love. He loves it when you just give him a simple glance or a simple acknowledgement. He is so eager. He is so tenacious and determined to just tackle you and smother you with his goodness and his mercy. Goodness and mercy, they call those the hounds of heaven. They're chasing you all the time. Goodness and mercy, when you wake up and your feet hit the floor, goodness and mercy are on you like attack dogs. God is after you. God is pursuing you. God is seeking you. Practice the art of being pursued. We get it backwards a lot of times because of our low self-worth. If I can just seek God hard enough, I'll catch him. If I can just pursue God with enough passion, I'll experience him. No, it's not how it works. Let God catch you. Let God wrap his arms around you. Let God show you who you really are. 
let his goodness overtake your life in such a powerful way that it's undeniable to you and everyone else. So what happens in these situations when we're, when we're, when we're failing, we just need to close our eyes and think and partake of that fruit of goodness. That God, I know how this looks. I even caused this situation by my decisions. However, I know that you're greater. I know that your good intentions for me are more powerful and more effective than anything I can imagine. So I'm gonna believe you there. So now I'm gonna speak that reality that you're showing me to the reality that I'm facing and I'm gonna watch it change and I'm gonna laugh in my circumstances. I'm gonna laugh in my situations. I'm gonna start having fun. I'm gonna start living the abundant life that Jesus called me to. I'm gonna start being more. Life is gonna be more. The goodness of God. Realize his good intentions for you. And I guarantee your life will never be the same. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you, God, that you are exposing us to your nature, to your love. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us the invitation for us to have our way in you. Because God, you've already had your way in us. You've given us Jesus. You've given us life. You've rescued us and given us salvation. So we thank you and we praise you. We focus on your majesty. We focus on your goodness. And we just thank you, Lord. We are determined and we declare that we are gonna walk out of these doors different. We're gonna walk out of these doors empowered. We're gonna walk out of these doors fully convinced and fully persuaded that you have good intentions for us. And we're gonna start partaking of that fruit in our hearts. And we're gonna start giving it out to the people that we meet. No longer are we gonna, gonna assume that people have agendas. We're gonna assume that you have good intentions for them as well. And we're gonna treat them as such in Jesus' name, amen.